You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to Flipping Tables episode 96. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards. And uh, I'm looking at our... Our document. I see. I own like all the follow up. So everybody, just <laughs> se- settle in, hunker down. I got um, comments though. <laughs> you do. You you're a valuable contributor to the team, Michael. Uh, but <laughs> we got uh, some feedback. We you know last time we talked a lot about um, the PS3's architecture and the Xbox and backwards compatibility and all this other weirdness. And uh, we got two really interesting pieces of follow up. One of them was from a listener uh, that we've gotten some other good tech follow up before. Uh, he told me once on Twitter he likes to yell at his stereo while he's driving to work on all the things I'm screwing <laughs> up. So I was like, "Thanks." Um, but he always <laughs> talks to you too. I always he feel left out. Aw, I'll, I'll maybe I'm sure just he... not wrong. Maybe I'm just always right. <laughs> That's actually probably, probably it. But I will ask him to direct some vitriol towards you. Um, but no, he always has useful hate to spew. So. Uh, his, his point was that we had ragged on the power PC for being like a weird choice for a home console. And, uh, his, all he could say was that the PS3 had this notoriously terrible architecture, the cell chip or the cell core or whatever they called it. And he's absolutely right. I have read multiple articles about how difficult it was to power, uh, to develop for the PlayStation three. And then I've read multiple other articles where people were like, no, they're just babies. It's not really that hard. So <laughs> whatever it is, it is contentious. I feel like the, the developer saying that, I mean, I don't have experience as a PS3 developer, so I'm totally off base to make this opinion. But it's sort of like the people that are like, it doesn't cost that much to brew your own beer as long as you've already bought all the materials you need to do it <laughs> and have them in your basement. And I, it's like, yeah, we already figured out how to do it. So it's not that hard. And I'm like, yeah, but you already figured it out. <laughs> out um this wouldn't be sony's first time i mean the ps2 was also kind of notoriously that with their emotion engine and um just just weird architectures and i think the ps3 was just taking it to another level of like we have these seven processing units but they're not really cores in like the intel core sense but they're kind of and they have this weird like weird buses and just all this nonsense going on um, so you're really committing to the cult, drinking the Kool-Aid to dive into PS3 performance. <laughs> I wonder if, so this is something I noticed with the PS2 and the PS3, and I never thought of it as a bad thing, but it's because I liked those consoles. If you look at like a PS2 or a PS3 launch year game, they never really look quite in the same league as like the last year that that console had games for it. Like, God of War 2 is a good example. It's one of the last games made for the PS2, and it looks amazing. Like, yeah, it even supported 1080i if you had a component. Yeah, as, I mean, just as, as PS2 games went, it was like in a league of its own, and, and the PS3 had the exact same issue. Like the launch games versus the, the end-of-life games, totally night and day difference. Yeah, if you and look at Uncharted 1. Them, yeah, <laughs> that's an excellent point. It's like everyone's greasy and shiny, and then you <laughs> play Last of Us, and you're like, is this is this a PS4 game? Am I just seeing a recording of real life? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's because it took them a while to like figure it out. So that may actually be another fringe benefit of going to like more sort of vanilla, commonplace hardware is we kind of already have it figured out. It also means that the first game released on PS4 and the last game released on PS4 are probably not going to be night and day different. Yeah. I mean, there's always some of that difference over the years, but it's definitely been more dramatic on Sony consoles. I feel where you're just like, how are they still pulling something out of this? Oh, yeah. cause they started pulling nothing out of it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think Kojima's games have always been a good example of that. Like the metal gear games are just kind of astonishing and they're all like 60 frames per second, except metal gear solid four, which was 30. And you can tell, um, yeah, I'll, I just started playing Phantom Pain, so I will have... Not this episode, I'll give it a, a minute, because I just started today. <laughs> yeah. But I uh, I will definitely have Silky follow-up. smooth, though. Oh, it's, and it's so pretty. God, it's so pretty. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I mean, that's what Sony did so well, though, with the PS4 is they basically had a huge PR campaign to developers with Mark Cerny just going around being like, Intel hardware, normal GPUs, like, let's do this. <laughs> Port your PC games, it's easy. Wasn't uh, wasn't Arkham Knight one of the few games in recent history where they were like, oh my god, the console version is somehow better than the PC version? Yeah, um, I mean, we'll have more on that later with our porting topic. <laughs> um, this other thing I wanted to mention, I'm I didn't uh, I didn't think I told you about this, but I'm kind of excited to share this one because I was given like industry knowledge that I was asked not to name the source on, so I am now. One of those Feels journalists. Special. I am special, but now people I'm one of those familiar. people. Who, <laughs> people familiar with the matter. If someone asked me, like, "Oh, who told you that?" I have to be like, "I can't. I'm sorry, I can't tell you." I'd have to kill it. I mean, basically, you know the plot of Star Wars: Force Awakens. It is. Uh, Luke dies at the end. Um, so I really uh, hope that's not true. But the thing is <laughs> that we were told by this industry insider is. Uh, the problem with remote game streaming is about 50% network lag, which you and I have constantly complained about, but it's actually also the, the console to the television. So apparently there is a non-trivial amount of lag between those two components, but because they're local and they're known, it can be um, accounted for, I guess. Whereas when you're streaming something over the network, having that additional variability is what makes it seem like, oh my God, the latency is so terrible. So I looked into this a little bit based on the information I was given and all of it, it's kind of like a good conspiracy theory. I was like, this seems plausible, but I don't know enough about <laughs> how network traffic is managed and how you know video latency over what I thought was a trivial distance is managed, but apparently this is actually a thing. Yeah. I believe it because uh, we recently this year got a 55-inch 4K Samsung, and uh, when I first hooked my PS4 up to it, it was just a lag fest. Like, I, I fired up Batman, and I had just recently gotten Batman, and I was just like, all right, like this is the biggest TV I've ever owned, ready to get sick because I'm probably sitting too close to it. <laughs> um, and it was just like totally noticeable, like online World of Warcraft lag levels of like you press right and then a second later he's like, I'm going to move right. <laughs> and you're just like, no, 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 I'm not playing this way. And, uh, you know, I had just enough knowledge to know there's probably like a game mode, um, which all these TVs are starting to have when it's like, oh, you really actually need low latency. You're not just watching a movie where the delay kind of doesn't matter because as long as the audio is synced up, you don't really care that your movie started a half second later, as long as it plays smoothly from there. Um, but it turns out that the bigger the screen, it, the more likely lag is to be a problem. Um, Which do you, do you understand why that is? Because that doesn't exactly make sense to me. I don't know. I mean, because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it's still just 1080p. Are you trying to send more pixels for some reason? Um but it's not just display size. It's also a lot of TVs are doing a lot of post-processing, um, which isn't just the, the annoying smooth vision, which I turned off immediately. <laughs> um, but it's also just like I could tell when I put game mode on, like it's a little dimmer. It's a little less, little less pop. I don't know. Um, but it's fine because now Batman moves when I tell him to. <laughs> yeah, it pops a little bit less, but it's fine because Batman... <laughs> So the last thing uh, I'd follow up on that is actually mostly a question for you, something I thought of, would a potential benefit of digital headphones, so we talked about Apple maybe scrapping the 3.5 millimeter head jack, and that's like the buzz now, even though that rumor is like a year and a half old. So if they actually did that, and you were doing digital audio, does that mean you could move things like... Uh, noise canceling into the phone and have it done in software because my noise canceling headphones, which I love so God, so freaking much. They have like a, like a, not a dongle cause it's in the, the line, but it's like a big chunky thing, like the size of a pack of gum. And I've, <laughs> I've learned to deal with it because, Oh my God, it is so, so worth it. But if the option for it to not be there was an option, I would, go with that option 
I'd get USB C headphones for my Nexus. Yeah. Well, I I think what you might be able to offload is the powering of that feature could now be powered by your device, which may impact your battery. But my understanding of how noise cancellation works is that the actual mic it needs needs to be where your ears are um, for it to actually function because it, it works with phase cancellation, which you can Google that if you want to learn why that lets you cancel noise out. Um, so the mic that makes this happen needs to be in the headphones. But a lot of these headphones have to be charged or powered with batteries. And so it'll be nice if you can say, nah, I'm just going to hook it into something that can provide that. So you think most of what's making this thing chunky is just the battery then? Because, I mean, I know there's a battery in there, but you think that's yeah, I mean, the majority think of, like, of what it is? A lot of our phones do noise cancellation, and then there's just these tiny little slits near the like the earpiece or somewhere um, that is just a, a microscopic microphone. So I don't see why that would take up that much space. But I'm not a hardware designer. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Um. I mean, it, I, I pres- these last for like 10 hours in noise-canceling mode, so I presume there's a fair amount of, of battery in this this thing so even if it was you know made a fifth the size or even smaller and it was just like a little in the line processing unit but it's powered by the phone or whatever it's plugged into that would that would actually be a reasonable trade-off for me and if you could move all the processing and stuff in there and then you just need the hardware so now it's like oh now noise canceling headphones are cheap because they just have to have an external mic and whatever you plug them into is doing all the yeah. actual work like that would be amazing everything should be yeah. noise canceling but what you're not going to get is you can't just plug in any old dumb headphones in and have software magically figure out what to do because it doesn't know where you are <laughs> right and your phone even if your phone has a mic it does um it's going to be in your pocket in your bag it's going to be in a totally different context so it can't reliably cancel the noise right right because the presumably the the little microphone is right on the earpiece somewhere right yeah i have noticed i think i might have mentioned this uh when i first got these and i was raving about them i've noticed that if you have the noise canceling headphones on and you shut a door like if you get into your car and you pull the car door shut it makes a deafening pop in your ears <laughs> like it couldn't couldn't handle it fast enough i don't know if it's trying to cancel the pop by making a much worse pop or <laughs> or like i i would love for someone who understands the audio engineering to explain it to me but the first couple of times i was like oh i'm just gonna get in the car and i'll take off my headphones after i sit down yeah i pulled the door shut and it's i mean like it hurts it's like someone clapped you on the side of the head i wonder if it's like almost analogous to key framing and like green screening where like well, you already set your green screen, and now someone threw a spear into the scene, and <laughs> that's a new object. Sorry, you're getting hit by the spear. But <laughs> It does kind of feel like taking a spear to the head. <laughs> all right, that was all my... That was Dave's follow-up corner. All right. Oh, man, some good time. Let's, let's start somewhere happier, because I feel like we're going to have plenty <laughs> to complain about later. Um, and the happy thing is I got a Roomba. Yay. <laughs> Which, and are I, there are there still a bunch of different Roombas, or is there just like the one Roomba? I think there are several Roombas. This one is uh, specifically modeled to be good for people that own pets, Ooh. and also multiple floor types, so not just carpet or not just hardwood, but like it'll go anywhere. Or um, tiles where every other one is lava. <laughs> <laughs> that is on the box, surprisingly. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I had to send you a picture today because on the, you know, your personal slogan was on this box, and that is "Let the robots do the work." And uh, that's the perfect slogan for a Roomba because that's exactly why I wanted it. <laughs> um, is we were we actually in the market for a new vacuum, and I was like, why not also have a flipping tables topic in addition to a new vacuum? And uh, so <laughs> I've literally got it today. So we've only run it once. And uh, so I don't have that much to say other than that. It seemed to do a pretty damn good job of going everywhere in our house, including you've seen our couch. So our our couch sits probably, you know, five or six inches off the ground. There's actually a reasonable amount of room under it. And we almost never get under there to vacuum or clean because it's a pain in the ass. But yeah, this t- unless it's like in the Incredibles where you can like lift <laughs> the couch up over your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody um, vacuums under their couch. 
Roomba can totally get down there, totally navigates the legs like fine. Like it bumps into them, but it clearly it's designed knowing it's going to bump into things. Um, there's some interesting things about it though. The, so they also, you know, like any good product, it has a million accessories they want you to buy. And one of the types of accessories are basically these virtual walls or halos you can set up for it to avoid. So you you could uh, say you have a room you want to leave open, but you don't want the Roomba to go into it. You basically set this little battery-powered thing down, and it sends some kind of infrared beam that tells the Roomba, hey, don't go in here. <laughs> and there's also... <laughs> I, that just doesn't feel like something that should require a gadget, but go I on. Know. Um, well, and I also wonder if Google or someone else full of geniuses can figure this out where, <laughs> you, you know, you let the thing run a couple of times and it maps your house. And yeah, there's going to be different obstacles, different days, but the house map is figured out and maybe some beacon technology can help it know where it is in the house. Um, then you would just in software be able to say, yeah, you know what this room is. Don't go in that room. Um, but until then, it's more low-tech solutions like infrared beams that just say, hey, don't. Um, <laughs> but they also have a, a circle, like they call it the halo version. So their example is kind of nuts to me. Um, you would put this thing, so if you have a cat or a dog, you have probably a water bowl and a food bowl, and you would stick this thing between those bowls, and it would set up a circular circumference around them that the Roomba would avoid. And I was like, that's dumb. I'm going to get bowls that won't spill when the Roomba bumps it. That's all. Yeah, that's a way. <laughs> I mean, I, I love technology, but sometimes you got to go for the engineering solution, not the complicated software <laughs> yeah. robots. Solution. Yeah, it's fixing it in post with software is way more <laughs> expensive. Um, but, you know, overall, I mean, I've run it once, so I don't have a very deep opinion. But um, so we kind of, you know, you're kind of the first time you run something like that, you're watching it like a hawk, even though the whole idea of it is that you don't have to be involved in the vacuuming process. Um, so we watched it do the living room and the kitchen like crazy. And then it, it kind of <laughs> wandered down the hall and went into our bedroom. And I purposely didn't go watch it. And later I walked into my bedroom and it it had gone under the bed. It had gone clearly around all the, the perimeter. I was like, hey, this thing seems to work. Does it leave little treads or did you throw garbage everywhere so you knew where it is? No. I mean, it, it leaves the faint carpet treads like any vacuum does. Okay. So you know, like, if you it can see some of the zigzags. Huge swath of the room. Yeah, um, you can see kind of the zigzags it took. And that's, they have to make a big point in their documentation to be like, this doesn't do it the way a human would. You need to let us do our thing. There's, it's going <laughs> to zigzag. It's going to spiral in certain places. Like, it's not like the neat, like mowing a lawn lines that humans do. Like, just let it, let it go. So now I want to know how many people have returned their Roomba because they're like, I just, I can't, the lines need to be zigzaggy. <laughs> The way my grandmother did it, the way my mother did it, the way I do it, the lines need to be zigzaggy. I just, I can't. Yeah. Um, so I'll see how it goes throughout the week, and I, we don't have to talk about it again unless something dramatically good or bad happens. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, you can schedule it. So I'm looking forward to just scheduling it to, for when we're gone and just coming home to a clean house and being like, yes, live in the future. Yeah, I've always had a Roomba on my list of like, when I have some screwing around money this is a thing i'll buy and of course i moved into the most stereotypical colorado house which is a split level so i can either get three roombas which is in <laughs> freaking insane that would be like nine hundred dollars <laughs> yeah or i can get one and leave it just on the level where like the kids playroom and the kitchen is which would actually is where it would be most useful but it's also where it's most likely to break when children are like ooh. <laughs> so we well, just yeah. got to schedule it for their bedtime and then it just sits in its home during the day yeah i mean i, I can imagine getting one later you know when i'm when they're older and the the gate there's like we have a big crazy gate protecting the stairs yeah um but yeah i'll be kind of interested i don't think i know anyone who owns one so i'll be interested to hear what your your like long-term experience with it is. But when you use the phrase Roomba accessories, it made me Google Roomba accessories, which brought me to their website. And I completely forgot what I was doing when I found this thing I'm about to send you in <laughs> Slack. So describe for the good people the thing that I just sent you. This looks like some kind of tank with a giant harpoon on the end of it. <laughs> 
This is a gutter cleaning robot. It's a gutter cleaning robot. The, the luge. The luge. So I guess there's a little video here, which, oh, I should tell you about YouTube Red. Um, it started playing right away because I still have YouTube Red. Um, but apparently you just leave this thing like roaming in your gutters. <laughs> oh, man, it looks really, really weird. It's uh-huh. like... Uh, it's like one of those giant mining robots that's just going through and crap is yeah. flying out everywhere. But I don't know. This whole category is a lot of hell yes for me because I just, you know, someday I don't want to have to pay a neighborhood kid who's going to badly do this work for me. <laughs> then I have to teach him how to do it. Like, yeah, robots figure it out. I don't want to do this. Like, yeah, I'm a lazy bastard, but why not be smart about our laziness? Well, this... See the gutter one though. This brings me back to the uh, like the halo thing for the dog dish. Like, yeah, can can we maybe just design gutters that don't collect garbage in them? Like, I I mean, obviously not. Since it's like we- preventative health versus <laughs> like extremely innovative surgery for people who are deeply ill. Yeah, I mean, this just this this feels like oh yeah, you uh, you could maybe just eat less and exercise or we can just punch you in the face every time you eat too much. It's like, uh, wh- what was the first option? <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to put this video of this crazy thing drilling through garbage <laughs> into the show notes. At, uh, and wh- where, you know, I always do this, Mike, where can people find those show notes? Oh, at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 96. Yay. I'm looking forward to your your monthly Roomba (laughs) follow-ups. Well, basically what my cat Felix does with it will probably be the main follow-up. Oh, my God. How did I not ask that? What does Felix think of it? Was he freaked out? I do want to share a video, uh, which I'll put in the show notes of this. It's some marketing video, but it's one of those good marketing videos where they don't really talk about the product, and it's just hilarious and funny. (laughs) Um, But it's an adult cat talking to a new kitten, and you may have seen this. It's been around a while, but um, he's basically like giving him advice about the world, but it's all like funny naive cat doesn't really understand what the world is way but there's a part of the video where he talks about vacuum and it's about this like crazy beast that comes out and roars at you and you must hide and um, that's uh that was uh zay frank oh well the thing i'm talking about wasn't zay frank but maybe they ripped him off um well, anyway, uh, that that is like any cat, Felix's reaction to a normal vacuum cleaner because it's this giant <laughs> thing with a light that roars <laughs> deafening. Of course he's afraid of it. Um, the Roomba definitely makes noise, but it's definitely probably 10% the noise of a vacuum cleaner. So it's a, like it would be annoying if you're trying to do something sound sensitive. but um, And we'll probably schedule it for when we're gone just to not have to deal with the noise. But it's not like Felix was curiously following it he was avoiding it, but he was like following it around. And so that was a different category than I'm going to go disappear for, you know, a few weeks and I'll see you guys <laughs> in a while. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not running in the room with you right now is what you're saying. <laughs> that's, that's correct. I don't know. Maybe you're like shoveling in Doritos the whole time we record <laughs> and you just want a little robot vacuuming up the cloud around you. <laughs> the, what's that peanuts character? I don't remember. Uh, pig pen. Yeah. <laughs> you have any interest in seeing the Peanuts movie? I'm I kinda... did see the Peanuts movie. And? And it was terrible. Great. <laughs> well, if, if if you wanted it to be truly Peanuts, it was terrible. If you just wanted a cheesy, happy kids movie with a good lesson about being honest and good and truthful, truthful um, it's that, but it's not really Peanuts to me. Yeah, that, I mean, that's about on par with what I expected. The animation was cool, but the, the actual spirit in it was not what I wanted. It's for a new generation. Anyway, um, <laughs> this uh, this thing from Samsung, they recently were outed. Uh, I don't know if they meant to release this or if this was something that was like sources familiar with the matter, but <laughs> supposedly... They are looking to partner with Google to optimize and clean up their TouchWiz interface. And, of course, my gut reaction was like, ah, you could clean it up by just deleting it. Ah, you suck. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, surely there's some 
redeeming qualities in there. So I'm going to, I'm going to look around and see what some other people's reactions have been on Google plus where I found this and on Reddit and on Twitter and just what's the discussion like around this article. And the only even close to valid concern I found for people who like TouchWiz is that the new Google UI is designed around only having software buttons and TouchWiz is designed around having hardware buttons. <laughs> I was like, well, if you really, really want a physical home button, I'm pretty sure the most sophisticated Android operating system can handle that. Like, I really doubt that that's something Samsung had to send all their engineers into the lab and be like, don't, <laughs> don't come out until you all can make a home button. <laughs> yeah. So... In the, I mean, I think everyone knows how you and I feel about TouchWiz. So in the interest of having a productive conversation, however short it may be, is there anything in there worth saving? <laughs> I mean, you've used it far more than me. I've never owned a TouchWiz device. Um, and so from my perspective, it's like, oh, that settings menu looks ugly, but I don't really know functionally if it's really that bad or, or anything like that. I mean, it's just... Did you ever buy a like a PC, like a budget PC that's just loaded down with crapware? No. Okay. <laughs> Man, you've lived like this tech purity life. <laughs> you gotta get out there and slum it a little bit. I Mike. mean, we we had a gateway laptop, and it probably came with CompuServe and Earthlink stuff on the desktop. But it, I think it was before the modern era of like, wow, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and I guess now you're you're a Mac guy as an adult. So okay. So it's it's very much the TouchWiz is is very much what they typically do to PCs. It's just there's a duplicate version of every vastly superior native application. There's a bunch of things that are changed at the the OS level. So if you don't like those customizations, it's just too bad. Like I can skip out on using their crappy email app, but I can't change the notification shade or the dialer. And Google apparently has noticed that some companies are going to that depth because they just recently recently released the dialer and the contacts app into the Google Play Store, which if you're Google is a way of saying, oh, look, now we can provide micro updates to these all the time. And it's a way better user experience. And I totally agree with that. That is a valid thing. But it also it gives them the freedom to say, and if you hate the contacts app on your phone, <laughs> yeah. now you can install one that doesn't suck. <laughs> There's like nothing left in core Android anymore. It's basically just the boot kernel. Well, and that's like the the one defense I would maybe have historically argued for all these custom skins, whether it's TouchWiz or Sense or I don't remember any of the other ones, um, is maybe earlier on in like earlier versions of Android, you could argue there were corners that Google hadn't gotten to yet. Like, oh, like, yeah, they offer a dialer and contacts and like a, a Gmail app, but, you know, they didn't do this kind of app yet. And so it's like, we're providing that. And even then, though, you're like, we'll just publish an app in the App Store then. But, you know, I, I could sort of argue like, oh, okay, well, they were they wanted to provide the full stack and Android didn't have it all yet. But who's arguing that now like why do we need any of that well this is uh i think the sunk cost fallacy at work where someone inside samsung because surely the engineers aren't all like diehard fans i'm sure most of them recognize like oh hey now the google version of whatever thing is way better than our thing and we're not gonna make ours that much better so let's just scrap it and then some middle manager or some you know, software executive or whoever is like, but we already invested all this time and money in it and it, it needs to be in there. And nobody has the power to say like, no, that's not how that works. Yeah. And also, yeah, it's not a defense of something like the, the only discussion should be, what does this need to be now? Not. <laughs> yeah. yeah what did it need to be three years ago? <laughs> like you're not rescuing that sunk cost. It's lost. It's gone. Yeah, that's why it has the pejorative name sunk cost, as in stranded on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, move on. It's not, I mean, this is the thing about uh, Motorola that they did so well and are now not messing up really bad, but they, 
recognized that a bunch of the stuff they were customizing was totally frivolous and everybody hated it. So they scrapped all of it. And then they said, let's just focus on a few like touches that will make someone want to use a Motorola phone. And they did a bunch of things that were very copyable and other companies have now copied like the, um, the, the, LED, not the LED. What do you, the AMOLED screen? Is that what it is? Where only certain pixels can light up? Yeah. Like they, I think Samsung did that technology first, but Motorola like popularized it because it was on the Nexus and they made a big deal about being able to customize it. Whereas on the, the Nexus S, it was like, yeah, it's there, but you can't really mess with it. So whatever. Um, so they, they took that feature that Google hadn't fully developed or, or hadn't released a lot of tweaks for. They made it more tweakable. Then it got folded back into Android, and then Motorola was just like, oh, "Okay, we're done." Like we, yeah, w- we made our comments, and now we're done. And they baked in like the cool little Pixar 3D video stuff where you can like move the phone around, and it's all augmented reality. And that's like, it's just like a little present, you know. That doesn't yeah. really enhance or dehance your dehance <laughs> dehance your use of the phone. It just makes you like think fondly of Motorola because you're like, I gave money to Motorola and now there's this cool thing on there. <laughs> I Whereas, just Googled the, the antonym of enhance is diminish, I guess. Nah, mine's better. Yeah. Dehance. <laughs> <But>, <laughs> it's Behance, the stupid Adobe <laughs> network. Um, but I, I can't honestly think of a single thing that's native to Samsung that's like that, except, and I don't know if this is native to them, they're just the first time I saw it, double press the power button to get camera. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of different ideas about that. Cause it wasn't the Moto X. You would shake it or something and you'd get camera. Yes. There was a, yeah, like a, a, a like a twist, like a double twist to the wrist or something. You basically <laughs> shook it. Like you were angry at it. <laughs> like you just dropped it in water. Um, yeah. No, I mean with all these skins, like it would be the, the complaint over historically has always been, well, you made it look different for no reason. And you recreated something that wasn't broken. Stop it. Um, you would hope they would find things to do that were like, like I said, like Google hadn't done it yet. Like, um, a true total device backup with all your apps and data, like that's in the cloud, like figure that out, like, or get Google (laughs) to figure it out. Like, so that I can drop this in a river and not just have my accounts back quickly, but have what I had back quickly. Well, someone commenting on this this rumor brought to my attention a really depressing point which is samsung is the most powerful and most well uh unit sold company in the world like they that was the worst sentence anyone has ever spoken (laughs) in the history of the english language uh they have like delivered more units of their devices even than apple if you're counting worldwide just because there's a lot more places that had Android phones than had, you know, the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, now that Apple's in China, that scale may start to tip. But the point is, for a lot of people, Samsung's crappy interface is Android. Like, that is Android. So if you're an exec in, inside Samsung, you're like, well, we seem to be doing okay. Like, why would <laughs> yeah. only a handful of snobby nerds think they know better than us, and yet we're the billionaires, so maybe they should all shut the hell up. But it, like, just because you trick someone into buying your crappy product doesn't mean it's a good product. It just means you got someone to buy it. Yeah, it's weird because whenever you're successful, you're, everyone's tempted to say, and our customers are the smartest people on earth that <laughs> chose us for rational reasons. <laughs> and when it's not your company that's doing the best, you're like, they're a bunch of mindless religious followers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a company that I've ever heard that argument toward. <laughs> certainly not one with a fruit-based and I'm logo. Like, I certainly wouldn't argue that <laughs> if you have a significant population of people doing anything, that they're all rational <laughs> and know why they're doing it. <laughs> There's probably some interesting economics research into once the group is beyond a certain size, they're almost definitely not acting rationally because <laughs> like group think and, and herd mentality has just started to set in. Yeah, or it's just a big enough population <laughs> you can't make single conclusions like that about them. Right. But this is a, a thing Samsung does do really well and has always done really well is uh, hardware. They, their phones almost consistently have 
either the best cameras or like in the top, you know, three or four cameras. Um, their designs, while very similar to Apple's are always really well executed and, and feel quality. Um, you know, their screen technology is really good because that's like kind of their bread and butter. You know, they, I feel like there are a lot of things they could contribute to Android on like the physical side in the actual design and engineering of, of the device beyond all of this annoying crap in TouchWiz. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm not the head of a multi-billion dollar company, as I always like to say. So maybe I'm just the idiot. <laughs> you do always say that every time I see you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike. Oh, hey, I'm not the head of a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, crazy person. Uh, games. Let's talk about games. Let's talk about games. Let's talk about porting and re-releasing and remastering games. Well, there was this interesting Polygon article that was a very surprising deep dive. Definitely put this in your pocket or save it for a time when you have time to read if you're, you're interested in games. And uh, the, the topic of this article with it's is very heavily quotations from actual developers. It's not just some journalists kind of shooting from the hip and complaining about ports. It's actual developers talking about why it's so hard to port games between generations. Um, that's the main um topic at hand and uh there's a lot of quotes from naughty dog um about porting the last of us which is a very famously great port um uh they didn't really change the game but it's like it's remastered in all the graphical audio ways and it's just like it's unarguably a better experience on the ps4 even if it's still the same game at at its core Um, but they talked about how freaking hard it was to do that and they make it look easy you play the new game you don't go oh this is like clearly kind of half-assed or anything it it's, feels like a really well put together game and uh so i mean we we talked earlier in the episode about sony's weird architectures being a problem but um that's not the only like it's not just sony's extreme case just porting is hard and uh one of the other big examples in this article was um so naughty dog had the benefit of here's a finished game and we're going to port it as our way of learning how to make PS4 games, but we don't have to figure out the creative problems. We know what the gameplay is. We know that we have most of the art, even though we're going to redo them or do them in a higher res. We know what we're making. And uh, if you're, let's say you're a, a company that's like, okay, we're making Halo 16 and we're putting it on the new Xbox, but we also want to put it on the last Xbox. It's like crossing generations. But it's not it's not a new port of like a already successful game. It's you're chasing the other team that's making the real game in real time. <laughs> and so that makes it so much harder. And that's another reason why sometimes um so like famously Batman Arkham Knight, the, the console versions were pretty solid at launch. PC version was a, a <laughs> <laughs> disaster, an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and it's really pissed off PC gamers because they, they put in the money and the time to build much more powerful rigs and then they get an inferior experience and then, you know, stupid console fanboys are like, ha ha. But um, <laughs> it's not PC as a platform's fault, but it is kind of a case of they're building it for the console first and there's a different set of developers that don't have an easy task. It's not easy to do. And it's, you know, it's not just, oh, how do we make that work on this other hardware? It's also we're waiting for them to finish the game and they're changing things about the game. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Like, <laughs> yes. Because I, I never, I mean, we talked about like at the end of a console generation, how different the games are from the beginning. And I have actually played a few games that it was like, you know, oh, get it on PS3 or PS4 or like, you know, for the Xbox, like get it on Xbox 360 or Xbox One. And it never really occurred to me like how you basically just had to make the same game twice. So you saved yourself some work, but you're basically making the whole game twice. Yeah. And yeah, even though you have a reference to Traceover, it's still like completely new work. Um, and I mean, some other famous examples are they did a PS3 uh, re-release of the Silent Hill trilogy, 1, 2, and 3. Or no, it was 2, 3, and 4, I think. I can't remember which ones. Maybe it was just 2 and 3. Um, but they remastered them for HD, and these are famously bad ports. Low frame rates, 
um, the the art style like kind of pissed people off because Silent Hill has a kind of specific aesthetic. Like even the way the fog is in that game is kind of iconic, and you know if you screw that up and make it look cheap, you know you kind of ruined what the whole game's about, and so. That's just a buggy, a bad port. And, you know, you might ask, why do companies do this? Well, I, and, you know, dollar signs are part of it, obviously. Um, but I think it's also, they talk about in this article, it's a form of preservation. And uh, awareness is a form of preservation. So getting your game out to a bigger audience, you know, maybe it was a niche success on an older console, but you really want to give it a chance to have a wider cultural significance. And I think that that's definitely happened Um you know, Last of Us, I think, reached a much bigger audience by being ported. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit in the, the pre-show, that if you're in the kind of buying position I'm in, which presumably over the gigantic all-gamers population, there's probably a lot of people who are like, it's not that I didn't want to play that game, I just literally didn't get around to it. And then by the time I'm getting around to it, it's like, well, am I going to play the remastered version or the old version? Hell yes, I'm going to play the remastered version. Like, <laughs> Unless it was a case like Silent Hill where you look at the reviews and everybody's like, no, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or if it's like Final Fantasy VII's remake. <laughs> <laughs> so that's got to be the longest porting process in the history of <laughs> games porting. Uh, we're almost at 20 years on that. <laughs> yeah, that is... That is some serious uh, hard work. So what show, I actually didn't even look, which show was this at today? Was it the PlayStation Experience? Yeah, I don't know anything about that. I just saw that the trailer dropped. So Yeah, um, so th- there's a game show going on either just today or going on this week. And uh, yeah, PlayStation Experience 2015. It's in San and, Francisco. <laughs> oh, so it is. And they released a trailer for final fantasy sevens ps4 re-release which actual I'm gameplay this pretty time. sure still doesn't have a date but yes that was the significant part honest to god here's what the game looks like to play and uh what did you call it in slack um De- devil, devil may cloud <laughs> devil may cloud and i i really hope you're wrong i can see exactly why you would think that watching this trailer um but I really hope you're wrong. I really hope it's more like fake action where the characters and the AI move in such a way that it seems like the action is happening in real time, but it's still turn-based because I like turn-based games. Like don't, don't just rip the turn-basedness out of it because you can that, that to me would be just a different game. Well, do you think they're using their final fantasy 15 engine here? Like, I haven't seen, I haven't reviewed it again recently to know if it looks similar, but it seems like that kind of real timey thing is going on. It, the movement does, the, the way the characters are literally moving in the field while they're fighting. Um, so I would absolutely believe that is the case, but the menu sure looks like a real or a, a turn based menu. It's like attack, magic, item. That's true. So, you know, it could just be like, as long as the cursor's over attack, you'll keep attacking, yeah. you know, and then if you move to magic, then you can like cast a spell, but it's, I don't know, it's, I'm not saying it couldn't be fun or good or that it wouldn't even be better, but I just, I, I like turn-based games. Like part of the reason I was excited about this, cause it's like thing I loved from my childhood, but made shiny and modern. And that was, yeah. that was enough. Yeah. Um, I do want to pause because we went straight to complaining. It looks gorgeous. Like, <laughs> it wow. It looks really, really good. Like, it looks like Spirits Within, this was movies in the 90s that were, you know, took $100 million investments. Not that this probably isn't a multi-million dollar investment, <laughs> but this is now what games look like. And, you know, bring it on. There also didn't really seem to be any shift in quality from what is obviously a cinematic and what is obviously gameplay. So maybe they took a lesson from Kojima and were like, what if we just made the cinematics in the gameplay engine, which will force us to make the whole game look good? Which Kojima did from the very beginning with Metal Gear Solid. (laughs) Yeah, that's just always... I don't know if it's like a a personal thing or if one of his, his devs turned him on to it or whatever, but... Yeah, he's every well, it's less game jarring played. With, 
when you know it's it, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII is famously jarring. I think you just tweeted a picture of this because um, in the cinema you're like, oh yeah, and then like it goes to battle and it's like I'm now a cube. Well, no, the battles were so the worst was oh right, the, right, Overworld, the walking or, around yeah. like in a city where you had hoof hands. <laughs> Oh. oh my god, they look so bad. Even then, they looked really bad. Yeah, they did look a little better in the battles, but even there, you know, it's like one percent of what you got in the. Yeah, the yeah, the, the the FMVs. You remember when we still had to call them that? That was weird. The- well, and they they always did this weird thing where some of the FMVs, um, you were still your polygonal model briefly and then it'll like cut to a different shot and it'd be like now you're all fmb but it's like why like i know you're trying to do this real-time thing that's impressive but why yeah i guess there's a difference between like scripted sequence and then actual like full motion video pre-rendered sequence but this is the the main thing that i felt weird watching this and this isn't a complaint it's really just a huh like I hadn't even thought of this as a potential point of contention is Final Fantasy seven. Like basically every other game at that time that was an RPG had like either a top down or what do you call it? Is it isometric? Yeah. Most of the, well, it's like the angle changed every single screen, but right. So you had like a matte painting background that the characters floated on and, obviously looked very different from their surroundings but like you, you know sometimes like because the camera was up so high there'd be like power lines and the character would go under the power line so it yeah. still had like a, a sense of depth and all like that but in this trailer there's scenes because this looks like all this footage is from the very very early parts of the game yeah but there's scenes of him like running down cloud him running down the street um in in like the the nice district of, of Midgar. And it's like, you, you can only see like the buildings that are at ground yeah, level. You, you because, lost the sense of scale. Yeah. And it's almost more like Ninja Gaiden than. Yes. Oh my God. It is. It's a lot like that. And that's, it's not a, a good thing or a bad thing. I just was like, Oh, this is, this is like really different. Like it's when he's in the tunnel and you can see the top and the size of the tunnel, you're like, Oh, okay. He's in a tunnel. But when you're out in the city, I was like, I don't know if this is a giant metropolis or if I just happen to be on the one city block that has like some hipster bodegas because I can't see the entire city at once. But then at the same time, it's like, well, no, neither can the character. Why should you be able to see everything? Yeah, but I I would miss that sense of scale as far as a storytelling perspective because you don't, there's like how many zones in Midgar and you only get to a few of them. But you had the sense this is a big city and there's a lot to it. And to just kind of be in corridor land like Final Fantasy thirteen, you just lose that majesty to it. Yeah. I, I'm sure you could do artful cut cutaways and, and pull back of the camera, which they actually do a little bit in this this opening cinematic, where the character is very small on the screen and you're seeing mostly environment, but chances are they're not going to do that a lot it's probably going to be right up the character's butt like it is in most <laughs> third person games where you're like oh i wonder what's right in front of me i can see what's 30 feet to my left but i can't see the thing directly in front of me because the character is blocking the middle yeah. third of the screen so i mean hopefully they didn't lose their cinematic flair it's just to do an action game we'll see though yeah i'm i'm still bullish overall like it looks beautiful this was never my favorite Final Fantasy. It's always been in like the the high single digits or low single digits. Yeah. I'm not sure the right way to refer to that, but it's always been in like the top, you know, three for me. Like Final Fantasy six, four, and and seven are like usually kind of hover right yeah. around there. So because it wasn't number one, and I didn't completely like fanboy out over it for my entire teenage life, if it's not, you know, mana from heaven. It's not going to like break my heart. Yeah. It'll be the the first polygonal Final Fantasy they've ever remade though. So that'll be kind of an interesting uh milestone for Square. Yes, but weirdly it will not be the first Final Fantasy remade into polygons. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Man, I I'm not a fan of the polygonal remakes of the pixel ones. The only one I've ever played was uh 
Japanese three, so you know the real three. Yeah, um, because it didn't originally come to America, and I didn't want to play like a ROM hack version of it. And I had an opportunity to get the Game Boy DS DS one, I guess. I think it was DS. Uh, yeah, the one where it was all three D and um, super claustrophobic. Yes, I just I didn't. I mean the you know the game is kind of dated now as well, but I just I didn't really get into it. And that one had just, a job system, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Which I don't have a problem with. Tactics, one of the greatest games ever made, job system. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, Final Fantasy IV, one of the greatest Final Fantasies ever made. I cannot find the remade version where they just upscaled the sprites. They only have the so, OG, the OG or the Polygon one. You got to go PSP or iOS, but then the Telvetica font, which for some reason completely ruins the game for me. God, it ruins everything. And here's what's <laughs> even more annoying. The Android has the stupid Polygon one, but not the upscaled sprite one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's what will really bake your noodle. They do have the upscaled <laughs> other sprite ones, but just not four. <laughs> Oh God, Square is just a mess, but not as much of a mess of Konami. But that's not our topic. <laughs> no, that's something else. Um, no, um, the, the your best option for getting Sprite Four is to P- PSP or borrow my Vita again. Oh my God, I have an iPad. Why am I not playing this on the iPad right now? Because <laughs> touch and font. But maybe you can get past that <laughs> where I can't. I really don't think I can. <laughs> I, I also, don't... they'd love to charge you sixteen dollars for it. If I find, you might as well just emulate, man. Yeah, if, if I find time to slot replaying a twenty-five-year-old game in, maybe I'll pick it up and borrow your Vita again. Yeah, just borrow my Vita. It's better that way, anyway. Yeah, real buttons, real buttons, portable, beautiful little screen. Yeah, you want to talk about this Mac App Store thing next week? Is that going to be our our forward yeah. teaser? Yeah, just seize with anger and let out your Sith rage <laughs> next week. <laughs> All right, so you can find the show notes for this episode, as always, at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 96. Mike and I both basically live on the internet, if that's not really clear from the content of the show. And the easiest way to get feedback to us is on Twitter. You can find me at Lions and Beta, and Mike, you are? At M. Edwards Music. If you like what we're doing and you want to make sure you always catch new episodes, the best way to do that is to subscribe. So you can just go to sunriserobot.net and then subscribe buttons abound for this show and all the other shows. If you want to support us a little bit, you can do us a favor by going into iTunes and leaving us a rating and a review that really helps other people find the show, know that it's a quality product. And if it's not a quality product, lets us know what we're doing wrong. That's useful as well. And then if you want to go the extra, extra, extra mile, you can support us directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you might actually get your name shouted out at the end of the episode. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robison, sources familiar with the matter Cunningham, and Carolyn Kraut. We love you all so much, we could not do this without you. Seriously. See you next week.